years. These were the years of the life of Sarah. And Sarah died at Kerith Arbor, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. And Abraham rose up before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a a burying place, that I may bury my dead out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will withhold from you his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. Abraham rose and bowed to the Hittites, the people of the land. And he said to them, If you are willing that I should bury my dead out of my sight, hear me and entreat entreat for me Ephron the son of Zol, that he may give me the cave at Machpelah, which he owns, is to the end of his field. For the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron the Hittite answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, of all who went in of the city at the gate of his city. No, my lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land. And he said to Ephron, in the hearing of the people of the land, But if you will, hear me. I give the price of the field, accept it from me, that I may bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, My lord, listen to me. A piece of land worth four hundred shekels of silver? What is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron in Machpelah, which was the east of Mamre, the field with the cave that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area, was made over to Abraham as a procession in the presence of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of his city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. May God bless to us that reading of his word. Can I have my slides, please? When you're doing preparations for sermons, it's fascinating that... um, different commenters make different uh, comments obviously about the text and one of the commentators who I was reading about this particular passage encouraged me to realize that not every passage of scripture had anything of real worth to say 
And I couldn't disagree with him more because actually this is a wonderful passage that has so much to tell us and to teach us right now today in the 21st century. Genesis 23. The company commander and the company sergeant major were in a field on exercise at night. And they got into their sleeping bags. And the company sergeant major said, Sir, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. The commander said, Well, I see millions of stars, sergeant major. And what does that tell you, sir? said the sergeant major. Well, the major kept on looking intently at the sky. And he replied, Astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Theologically, it tells me that God is great and we are small and insignificant. Meteorologically, it tells me that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. What does it tell you, Sergeant Major? Well, sir, said the Sergeant Major, it tells me that someone's nicked our tent. I would not like to be in a tent tonight. This is not the weather for me to go camping or even to go on exercise. I've done it many times in the past when I was younger and fitter perhaps. But it's not the kind of time I really want to be out in a field at night on exercise. And Abraham had spent his entire life living in a tent, wandering from place to place, camping here and camping there, living under canvas. And Genesis 23 makes it clear to us that Abraham was, in fact, a worldly traveller, a man that lived in a tent pretty much like this. He was a worldly traveller. And the great patriarch was also a shrewd businessman and as such had acquired great wealth in his time. But he'd never put down roots anywhere. In terms of modern business practice, they would not think him shrewd because modern business practice is about buying property and more property and even more property. And one of the reasons why we have so much building in this part of, the, of Essex is because of the people who can't afford to have property in London because London's outpriced and they're coming out. And in fact, a few weeks ago at the, um, the Eastern Baptist Association gathering um, in Billericay, um, one of the things we were, the ministers were talking about was the fact that many of the churches in and around London have what's called a revolving door. People go in and they come out. And ministers in Chelmsford and Romsford were saying to me, you know, you're going to be receiving members from our churches because people just cannot afford to buy. Because people say, invest. Invest. Buy property. It's almost an obsession in this modern day. Abraham was a very shrewd businessman. But he didn't buy a single house or a single piece of brick-built building. He'd acquired wealth, but he never put down roots anywhere. Why? Because he lived in a tent with his family and with his friends, and he travelled from place to place. Genesis 13 tells us this. Abraham went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. Abraham had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. From the Negev he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, to the place between Bethel and Ai, where his tent had been earlier. He was living a peripatetic life, camping if you like, when tragedy struck his household and we are told in verse 2, Sarah died at Keriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, 
And Abraham went in to mourn for her and to weep for her. It would appear that Abraham, in fact, wasn't home when Sarah died. We're told he went in to mourn with her. He'd been out somewhere, perhaps on business, perhaps traveling around the area. And he came back to discover that his wife had died. And Abraham dearly loved his wife, Sarah. And the whole story of chapter 23 is about his preparations, how he would provide for her in the future. Because it makes us clear he would go to great effort to have his wife properly buried. The problem was, not only was Sarah not at home, but nor was Abraham. Abraham and Sarah weren't physically where they wanted to be. They were traveling towards a promise that God had given them. They were in a constant state of movement towards the fulfillment of God's promises. God had promised a son, and at the age of 90, Sarah had fallen pregnant and given birth to Isaac, when Abraham was 100 years old. But also, God gives another promise in Genesis chapter 15. It's this promise here. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendants I give this land, from the wadi of Egypt to the great river of the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, Kenizzites, Camonites, Hittites, Perizzites, Raphites, Amorites, Canaanites, Girgashites, and Jebusites. Genesis chapter 15. Of course, that place is the land of Canaan, the promised land. But Abraham would never see the total fulfillment of that promise. We're told that Sarah died in Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. It's very interesting that um, the writer here uses that old-fashioned name for Hebron. Rather than speaking of Hebron, he uses the, the term um, Kiriath Arba. And Kiriath Arba is quite interesting because it quite literally means um, it quite literally means the land of the An- An- Anan. And the Anan were the famous land, uh, people in the, um, in the Old Testament that were very, very tall. When I was in, 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 uh, working with the United Nations out in Africa, I was in South Sudan. And the South Sudanese are very, very tall. And, uh, uh, on, on the UN camp, we had Ethiopians next to us. And Ethiopians, as Africans, are very, very short. We had Nigerians. And Nigerians are uh, a medium-sized height, but very, very stocky. We had... Um, People from um, Kenyans who tend to be slightly lighter skin and actually a lot more thinner. And the, and the Sudanese, the South Sudanese and the Northern Sudanese, are very, very tall and very, very thin. And in fact, the men have really, really long legs, very skinny legs, and then about the average size torso. They're very, very tall. And in fact, the bridal price on a woman depends on her height. If you're very tall, you get more ca- cattle. You can, your husband, the father can ask for more cattle than if you're short. So anyone short here, you wouldn't get many cattle in, in South Sudan if you wanted to get married. But, it was the, the, but basically, the South Sudanese are much taller than an average European. And the um, Anans, the Anakins, were very, very tall people, and they lived in South Canaan. And in fact, when it comes to Joshua, tries to spy out the Promised Land, and he sends out the 12 spies, they find the Anakin. And they are terrified because they are giants of men. So in other words, where Abraham and Sarah was and where Sarah dies was quite literally the land of giants, of tall men, fearsome men, if you like. It was not a place really that you'd want to call your home. They're inhabited in a place where there were aliens and foreigners. But Abraham and Sarah had learnt to trust in God. 
I love the, the story of Abraham and Sarah because they make so many mistakes. They lie against uh, to, to Pharaoh, and, and, and it all seems to fall to pieces, but God pulls, pulls it back together again. They lie um, towards Abimelech, and again, they make this terrible mistake, and God pulls it back again. They go from crisis to crisis, but their faith is growing. And by the time that Sarah dies, aged 137, she has become a woman of faith. And Abraham is now a man of faith. And Isaac would have been 37 years old. Things have grown. They are now people of faith. And so Abraham goes to buy a lot from a Hittite. And he begins his request by saying this. He says this. He says, I am a sojourner and foreigner among you. Give me property among you for a burying place. I may bury my dead out of my sight. He's saying basically that he is a traveller, that he wants land, land to bury Sarah. He was living by faith. He was travelling. So the writer of the Hebrew says this, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were their heirs with him of the same presence, uh, of the same promise. And we too are to live like that. We, we must beware of making too many roots in this world. This is not our home. We are on a journey. We are traveling to a greater place, our true home. This is just a journey. And that's what Abraham and Sarah had learnt. And that's the reason that he wasn't investing vastly in the area. He was travelling towards the place that God had promised. One of the big temptations we face in the modern world as Christians is to become too attached to this world. Too settled, too comfortable. So that when God says move, we turn to him a deaf ear. We don't want to keep on the journey. What's interesting is the Christian church was not called the Christian, we weren't called Christians until Acts chapter 9. Um, in Antioch, that's the first time Christians were called Christians, followers of Christ. Christiani, Latin, means follower of Christ. Can anyone remember what Christians were originally called? Follower of the way, that's right. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. We were followers of the way. And throughout Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, you'll find the Christians are referred to time and time again, even to the end of the, end of the book. They're referred to as followers of the way. We are on the way. We are on a journey. This is not our home. And it may be a scary place at times, living on this planet. Maybe scary because we're surrounded by giants. The giants could be the damage that has been done to the, to the ecological system. The giants may be the crimes we see around us on our streets. There are many giants outside us, outside that frighten us. But we are people of faith. And we are people who are on a journey. We are on our way to someone better. This is why Jesus said this. He said, do not love, sorry, John said this, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. John says, don't get over-enamored with this planet. This is not our home. We are on the way on a journey don't put too many roots down in this world this is not where we want to be 
And what's interesting is Jesus, on the night he was betrayed in the, in, the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that really powerful prayer he prays. What does he pray? He prays for the church. He prays about unity. And he prays this in John 17. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. This is not our home. We are on a journey. We are followers on the way. And Abraham and Sarah realized this. Because Abraham was a worldly traveler. But also, Abraham wasn't just a worldly traveler. He was also worldly wise. We're told this, and Abraham rose up from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner and a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for, for a burying place that I may bury my dead out of my sight. To bury someone, you need land. And to, need, and to, ha- to have land, if you want to bury them in perpetuity, you actually need to own that property as it was. But Abraham and Sarah had only ever travelled around and rented the local land from the other local tribes. So whenever they were feeding his flock in a different, uh, different area of Canaan, he was renting that land and making agreements with people. We read about that earlier on in the agreements he made with Abimelech. But you want, if you want to actually provide a burial place for someone you want to carry on visiting, you need to own that property. And this whole chapter gives us a very interesting view of the ancient Near Eastern bargaining technique. You know, where the, the actual Hittites say to him, No, hear us, you are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will hold from you his tomb or hinder you from burying your dead. They were very gracious. They had a lot of respect for Abraham and for what he stood for. But the reality was, you can't bury your dead simply on a, a, um, a, a generosity of another. Because what if that relationship fails in the future? And you want to go back, or you're, you're, those behind you, the next generation wants to go and visit the tomb of Sarah and potentially the tomb of Abraham, and you don't own the property, don't own the rights. Abraham was a shrewd businessman. He realized the only way that he could guarantee the future of a burial place for his wife was to own the plot in which the burial would take place. This wasn't simply the Hittites being charming, it was part of the procedure, and he knew that he had to have the burial property, the, the rights, the title rights, if you like, to the land. And he'd done his homework. He knew that there was a field, we're told, it wasn't far from memory, where he was staying, and where his tents had been pitched for quite some time. And this field, at the bottom of the field, there was a cave. And he'd done his research, and he realised that, in fact, that cave would make a good burial place for his wife, Sarah. What's interesting is that um, excavations around the Hittite capital um, discovered many, many years later, in fact, of the last century, discovered many, many years later, there was lots of legal documents uncovered, and it showed that actually when you bought property and owned property under Hittite law, you had feudal rights to go with that land. And it was fascinating. Very, very interesting. And it just confirms this whole passage here about um, Abraham buying that land. What was very interesting, though, is that Abraham doesn't barter in the usual way. When he goes to speak to Ephraim, Ephraim sets a price. He gives the price of 400, the weight of 400 shekels. 
Now, normally in ancient Near Eastern practice, what you do then is you reduce it by 50% and you put up 200 shekels. That's the usual bartering right. But Abraham doesn't do that. And he surprises not only Ephraim, he surprises all the other Hittite lords around in the gate. Here they were in the gate of the capital. And he was, he was going to pay an outrageous price. And it was an outrageous price. We look at the, New, at the Old Testament and look at the price of other properties that were bought in the Old Testament. You'll find that 400 shekels for a field and a cave was a ridiculous price to pay. For example, Jeremiah buys a field from his cousin in Anaphoth. That's on, on close to Egypt. And he pays for that field 17 shekels of silver. You can read about that in Jeremiah 32. And King David purchases a threshing floor and its oxen. And he purchases a threshing floor and its oxen for a lot less. He plays 50 shekels. And then King David later on, when he p- p- uh, purchases the top of Zion, the hill in Zion, to, in which Solomon's going to build the temple, right in the centre of Jerusalem, he pays for that property, that premium land, 600 shekels. So 400 shekels is a lot to pay. Why did Abraham pay 400 shekels for this burial ground? He did it because he was trying to make a noise. He was paying well over the odds, well far more than that field was worth, because he knew as soon as he did it in the, in the, in the, in the capital of, of the Hittites, in the gate where all the elders and all the leaders were met, that everyone would be talking about that for such a long time. They were saying, Abraham, he paid an outrageous price to bury his wife. Abraham paid far over the odds. And that, that gossip would travel around the land of the Hittites. So everyone would know that Abraham had bought the field of Machpelah to bury Sarah. It would become a legend because he paid way over the odds for something that wasn't worth anywhere near that. Abraham was being very shrewd. He was making noise so everyone would know. He said, if you're willing that I should bury my dead out of the sight, hear me in, um, my entreaty for me from Ephraim, the son of Zohar, that he may give me the cave of Machpelah, which he owes at the end of his field. For the full price, let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burial place. And of course, we're told finally, the end of this chapter, that that's exactly what happened because he didn't barter in the usual way and he caused what would literally quite have been a scandal. And that scandal would have guaranteed everyone knowing that Abraham paid 400 shekels for that field. It's quite remarkable. That's the cave at Machpelah itself. But what also is beautiful is although Sarah didn't realise it, she was being buried in Cana, in the promised land. And what's happening here is Abraham is actually buying a deposit in the promised land. He's buying a deposit that's actually part of the future of the people of Israel. And to this cave of Machpelah, all his descendants will be buried. Not just Abraham was buried there, but we find Rachel and Leah was buried there. Isaac was buried there. And eventually Jacob was buried there. Because Abraham had bought just a small parcel of land that was a piece of the promised land. You see, Abraham was seeing things from a heavenly viewpoint. He was living by faith. So we're told this, Hebrews 11 verse 13, all these people were still living by faith when they died. 
but he did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Abraham was buying into the promise. He was buying for the future of his people. So we see that Abraham was world, a worldly traveller. He was also worldly wise. But lastly, he was worldly not. And when he speaks to the Hittites, the Hittites respond in this way. They say, hear us, my Lord, you are a prince of God among us. Abraham was renowned for being a savvy businessman. But he was also renowned for being someone who had a close association with God. He was a prince of God. He was someone who was known by his association with God. I wonder if you would like to be called a prince or a princess of God this evening. But others who knew you, knew you, not simply by who you were, but knew you by your association. Many years ago, a man came to the end of his um, Career. He was, a, a, he was a, a carpenter. And all through his life as a carpenter, he tried to be different. He tried to be honest. He lived in a moral way. But he didn't believe it was right to say that he was a Christian. He thought, it let people see by my actions that I'm a Christian. And so at the age of 65, having lived all his entire life as a carpenter, as a Christian, but not telling anyone he was a Christian, he came to his retirement party. And of course, he was presented with the Recretary um, watch. And at the mill afterwards, he was having a sandwich with someone else, and the person's couch to him and says, You know, I've been meaning to ask you, Arthur. You know, I've known you for 35 years. 35 years we've worked together, done lots of carpentry around the area. He says, 35 years, I've noticed there's something different about you. You're not like other men. And he's thinking, Oh, finally, after 35 years, here's going to be the opportunity to talk about the Lord. And the guy says, There's something different about you. Tell me. Are you a vegetarian? His associations weren't known. Abraham made it clear to everyone that he was a follower of Yahweh. He was a follower of God. And people called him a prince of God. They knew him by his association. It asks a question for us, really. What about us? Do people know you in the world by your associations? Do I know you as a lover of Jesus, a follower of God, someone who's on the way, someone who's a traveller, a pilgrim in this land? Do I know you for what you really are as a Christian? Because we need to be sure that we are ready as Christians, that we're travelling through this world. We're on our way, someone great. We're on our way to a new place. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 52, this... We're told, in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. We are on our way. We are on our journey. That journey could end tonight. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. That's what the Bible says. It will happen so quickly and so suddenly. Are we ready for that change? Do we have our bags packed, ready for that journey? Ready spiritually in your own mind, ready, because we are travellers. 
Well, I've got roots in this world that are so great, but they're stopping you being ready for when the Lord returns. We need to be like Abraham and Sarah. Seeing this life as preparation for the one to come. Travelling through this life as foreigners, as sojourners. Travelling towards the promised land. Because that is our home. The home of every believer and every follower of God. Amen.